From the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal, this is Free Expression with Jerry Baker. Hello and welcome to Free Expression with me, Jerry Baker from the Wall Street Journal editorial page. Thanks very much for joining us. If you're not already a subscriber, please be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify and elsewhere. Please leave us a favorable review. This week, with less than 50 days until the U.S. midterm elections, we're going to look at the latest trends and data that might provide clues to the outcome of these crucial contests. Now, for almost a century, there's been a familiar pattern in U.S. midterms. The president's party tends to lose seats in the House and Senate and, of course, in state houses around the country. There have been exceptions, of course, but usually the voters' tendency to want to kick the incumbent in the pants combined with differing levels of motivation on the part of those voters whose party is in opposition and those who are in power, that tends to mean that the party in the White House does lose, on average, about a few dozen seats in the House and a handful in the Senate. Now, a few months ago, Joe Biden's Democrats looked set for a shellacking, to coin a phrase used by a Democratic predecessor of his. But in the last month or so, a funny thing seems to have happened on the way to the Republican landslide. Polls suggest that Democrats may be able to sharply limit their losses in the House, may even break even or make gains in the Senate. So what's going on? Well, I'm joined by veteran pollster, political consultant, marketing executive, Mark Penn. Mark is the chairman and CEO of Stagwell, a media and marketing firm with sales of more than $2 billion. He was chief pollster and strategist for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign in 2008, but he's worked across party lines and has been critical of Democrats in the recent past for what he's argued is their abandonment of the center ground. He was previously CEO of Burson Marstella and is the author of several books, including Microtrends, a look at key developments in social and economic life that are reshaping the world. Mark Penn joins me now. Mark, thanks very much for being here. Great to be here. So here we are, less than seven weeks away from the midterms. The polls certainly do seem to suggest something of a tightening, a number of very tight Senate races now we have. The generic ballot for the vote in the House, which I know is never always that reliable, but does seem also to have tightened, suggests that Democrats, while Republicans look like likely to gain, Democrats may be able to limit those gains. As we stand right now, where do you see these elections? Well, right now, the voters are still making their decisions. You know, what's really great about Americans and American voters is that they are quite capable of keeping two contradictory thoughts in their mind at all times. And then eventually... They're going to have to resolve what really seem to be two or three different strands of thought here. One is that the president's not doing a good job. Inflation's out of control. Immigration, crime, those are all problems that the president's getting 20 and 30 percent ratings on. And then on the other side, Trump, the Republicans don't know if I really like them. They don't have a plan for the future. Abortion, student debt forgiveness, climate change, racial justice. So it's as though there are two different ships here. And some people are on both ships, to be honest, and those are the swing voters in the middle. And if you're on one ship or the other, you're pretty well set. But the truth is, regardless of how people think President Biden has done, there are a lot of people who voted Democratic last time, don't think President Biden has done a good job, and are still hanging on to voting Democratic rather than sending a message that the president hasn't done a bad job. And that's why we have been a 50-50 country. We remain a 50-50 country. And this could be, at least as of now, somewhat tighter than you would expect on the normal variables. I want to get into the issues that may be making for such a tight race. But first of all, one particular question I have is I've read in quite a number of places that it does look like motivation is very high again on both sides 
sides. We may see a really big turnout. We had a huge turnout, of course, in the presidential election, helped significantly by the easy availability of postal voting and absentee voting and everything else. But we did have big turnout in the last midterm elections, in the midterm elections of the Trump administration. Are you expecting there to be very, very high level of turnout this time? I am expecting a pretty high level of turnout. I think the country is more politicized. There's so much more, I think, discussion generally of politics and outcomes than there ever was. I mean, midterm elections were relatively sleepy affairs dominated by small groups of voters in the past. What I'm really finding is, and I wrote an article just last week, is that turnout in general elections is way up and both sides are kind of accusing everybody in terms of like suppressing votes and so forth, when obviously it's ridiculous, more voters than ever are showing up. Whereas the primaries have almost no voters showing up. Most important elections, particularly as more of the country is in one party areas, typical primary turnout is about 20%, 30%, 15%. AOC, you know, was elected with 15,000 votes in a district of 700,000 people. And nobody's really noticing how few voters there are in the primaries, which have been moved to dates that nobody can figure out. So yes, I think we're going to have a strong turnout in the midterms. I do think people are going to be energized. We saw early on Republicans were more energized than Democrats. That seems to be leveling out. It always levels out. So let's look again at what the issues that we can expect to drive the outcome of the vote. You always used to say the economy stupid, famously uh, Jim Carvel line from 1992. The economy tends to be the dominant issue. It's always cited at the top of polls by people as the most important issue facing them. The economy right now is dominated by inflation. And despite President Biden's insistence at the weekend in his famous 60 Minutes interview that inflation was basically flat, as we all know, people are facing a horrendous reality of rising prices. Biden gets very poor marks for handling the economy, I think, in your recent poll, very low Is that going to be the big issue ultimately, as usual? Is that going to be the salient one that that determines how people vote? Well, that is the role of campaigns, right? Campaigns are about framing what issue is going to be on the top minds of voters as they go into the voting booth or, I guess, check it off in the mail these days. But that's what a campaign is about. And so do the Republicans have or had a home run campaign on Biden, inflation, immigration, and crime? They do, and they did, right? So to what extent are people seeing that as, wow, I've got to send a message. It's a runaway Congress. They don't seem to have any fiscal restraints whatsoever and see that as the most important thing affecting their lives. And on top of that, was high gas and food prices. I mean, there's so much to work with here. But if people are going in and they're going to say, well, you know, I'm really concerned about choice in the Supreme Court and these social issues and climate change that might affect us one day, you would think that the Republicans would be incredibly successful at driving this message, as they were a few months ago, right? But the president is fighting back. He has launched a number of initiatives here. The student loan stuff is clearly time for the election. I think he's hoping that the courts will then throw it out and even make it more of an election issue, although the courts throw it out. I don't know that it's an election issue at all. But I think that they have really fighting back. And the president himself, after not doing interviews for seven months, kind of is out there on the stump trying to prove that he's a functioning president. So it's still a jump ball on this. And this is really a bad time for pollsters because we could be really wrong, right? That we could be picking up a false sentiment that there's so much media hype for the Democrats that Republicans don't want to say that they're voting Republican or sending that message. I mean, certainly the previous election revealed a lot of that, particularly in Senate races where polls were like 20 points off. 
Yeah, I mean, I was going to say it wouldn't be the first time the polls particularly have tended to underestimate the level of Republicans. But before we get into the particular issues, one other question I wanted to ask you is that I've read that, and looking back actually over the history, there does seem to be a pretty good correlation between the overall approval rating for the president and the performance of his party in the midterm elections. You can go back and see that very clearly with Trump in 2018. You could see it with Obama in 2010. You could see it conversely when George W. Bush bucked the trend, or the Republicans bucked the trend in 2002, the year after 9-11, when his approval rating was very high, and they did well. First of all, is that the case? And if it is the case, what does Biden's ratings of sort of like low to mid 40s, what does that suggest? Well, of course it's the case. And generally, presidential ratings above 50, that's a clear winner. 45 to 50, that's enough to hold the vote because there's always two or three percent that vote for other parties or so forth. And below 45, you know, really kind of difficult. You'd expect to uh, to really pay for ratings. And below 40, uh, those are like really disastrous, right? So look, the big exception that I was involved in was And I kind of managed the message for the 1998 congressional election in which our message was progress, not partisanship. And at that point, the issue of impeachment and splitting up the country and divisiveness was so powerful that we actually gained a few seats to everyone's surprise in 98. And so that's really kind of the best analog here. But at that time, outside of impeachment, President Clinton had really good ratings on the economy and some of the others. So it's really kind of unprecedented for someone to have 70% or so saying the country's in the wrong track, have ratings below 45, get a rating on the economy in the 20s or the 30s at best, and not get a shellacking, right? Does it say that if he doesn't get a shellacking, then you're going to say, well, there's something else going on. Maybe it's the media. Maybe it's the environment. Maybe it's the way people see issues. Maybe it's the Republican Party just doesn't have a leader. Maybe it's anti-Trump. I mean, there'll be a lot of interest on that. We've got to take a short break right there, but when we come back, we'll have more on the midterm elections with Mark Penn, pollster and political expert. WSJ Special Access gives you a front row seat to some of the Wall Street Journal's most exciting content, like The Quirkier Side of Life, a new series that features the fun, surprising stories our reporters come across. The chief executive walks 10,000 barefoot steps every day. He recalls stepping on a bee, which put him off earthing for a couple of days, but he got back to it. Check out The Quirkier Side of Life on WSJ Special Access, only for WSJ subscribers. Welcome back. We're talking with Mark Penn about the midterm elections in just seven weeks' time. Well, let's talk about those things that the Democrats and the media have really been talking up in the last month and this sort of narrative that's out there from the Democrats and their friends in the media that the president is back, his approval ratings are up, that again, the polls are tightening, Democrats may do a lot better in the midterms. One of the first issues, obviously, they talk about is abortion. And the Dodds decision by the Supreme Court has kind of galvanized Democratic voters and indeed a lot of independent voters who want to protect the right to an abortion, who have been convinced by the coverage of the Dodds decision that actually this represents, you know, the end of abortion rights and that the abortion rights are on the agenda. Getting away from the political commentary and all of that we've heard about that, from your seeing in the data, how important is the abortion issue likely to be both for kind of bringing Democrats to the polls, persuading undecided voters that well, maybe I'm not sure I want to take a risk on losing abortion rights? How important is it in energizing Republicans? And yeah, we've also got some vote, not just polling, but some voting actual votes on this in terms of special elections and others. What's What are you seeing in the numbers to draw some conclusions about abortion at the moment? Well, right after the decision, it didn't seem like the decision was moving anyone in particular because equal numbers were more or less likely to vote for a Democrat or Republican. 
as time has gone on, and I think the Democrats have been more successful at pushing the message about the effective decision, more effective than the Republicans have been pushing a message related to late-term abortion, it's now 38% more likely to vote for a Democrat and 32% more likely to vote for a Republican. And so right now, there's kind of a six-point edge within the electorate on abortion for the Democrats. And you've seen it come up as this number two or three issue, even though, in fact, probably the Congress won't have anything to really do with abortion per se as an issue. And of course, there's the famous, now famous Lindsey Graham stepped in it, and he clearly did. I mean, mission one for the Republicans would be economy, inflation, energy prices, immigration, and crime. And now he kind of raised the specter of Congress actually coming in with a national abortion resolution, which, considering you need 60 votes in the Senate, is completely impossible anyway. Moving on is the return of Trump to the headlines, the execution of the search warrant on his Mar-a-Lago residence, raid by the FBI, if you prefer, whichever terminology you prefer, has propelled him into the news again, has sort of galvanized his supporters, has reminded people what a kind of controversial figure he is. And Democrats, again, in the media saying this can only be helping Democrats because when you're talking about anything other than Biden's record, you're not talking about this being a kind of a referendum on Biden. When you make it a choice between Biden and the Trump MAGA Republicans, it gets more competitive. What's your sense of the importance of Trump in these elections? Well, obviously, Trump was very successful in the Republican primary elections. My poll actually showed him after Mar-a-Lago and the FBI and the searches and all that actually going up a few points and becoming more powerful, showing that what the Democrats are doing and the Justice Department is backfiring. The NBC poll showed somewhat of a different story. I think Trump is playing a significant role. He will energize, I think, a base of voters out there if he doesn't kind of somehow muddle the message. And on the other hand, let's go back to abortion and Trump for suburban women who really generally care most about the economy and have a history in midterms of voting for the Republican. That's really the cross-pressured voter. And that's the voter that Duncan won over. And that's the voter who was flipping over to the Republican side. And that's why I think you're seeing this hesitation in the poll. Those voters now have more to think about. What about this wider message that Joe Biden has been very eagerly prosecuting that the Republicans are a threat to democracy, his famous Philadelphia speech from a couple of weeks ago, the kind of the MAGA threat to the sort of the enemies of democracy. Again, how salient is that for voters? How much traction is that message getting that somehow this is an election where democracy is on the line and you better vote Democratic? Uh, That was red meat for the base. Overall, it was rather disappointing. I was really quite uh, taken by the idea that any president would give a speech like that who's saying that he's a here to unify the country. So I was rather disappointed by that message. Uh, it generally backfired. I don't think he'll be giving another speech like that. And uh, I suppose it worked with the base who, you know, there's about 40% of the country who buys into that message, but that 40% was already voting Democrat. Let's talk about another issue which is raised quite a lot, but obviously with regard to the Senate in particular, which is, and you touched on this in terms of Trump's role in the primaries, which is the Republicans have selected in a lot of these key races 
candidates who strongly backed by Donald Trump, supporters of Donald Trump, but who may not be best placed to win over undecided voters. We're talking about Blake Masters in Arizona, maybe J.D. Vance in Ohio, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, Herschel Walker in Georgia. These are all very, very competitive contests. Uh, Although I have to say, despite some of the kind of more animated commentary, particularly from the left and the Democrats, that all of those races do look competitive as far as the latest polls that I can tell. And so it's not a kind of a slam dunk that these are rank bad Republican candidates that's going to cost the Republicans the Senate. But what's your assessment of all that? Well, I think the assessment is similar to yours in the sense that here the polls have closed, but they've closed generally in favor of the Republicans, right? And Herschel Walker was way behind and Oz was way behind. And the only place where I think it's like totally blew it was New Hampshire, where I think the Trump candidate just has no chance of winning. So that was probably a disaster and took that off the map. But the other candidates, you know, I think I would favor Herschel Walker in Georgia. I think Oz is doing better than he was and is doing some serious damage to Fetterman. And, you know, and I think the Arizona race is a little bit, you know, up for grabs. So I wouldn't get pessimistic about that. And yeah, uh, the Trump candidates, you know, they will have strong support from the base. They will have a high turnout. And most of them, I think, are are not lost, except New Hampshire. I think there's a blowout. And in terms of the Democrats' vulnerabilities, I mean, it is striking. You mentioned Glenn Youngkin a year ago. We remember that race. And that race turned heavily on education and critical race theory and crime and COVID restrictions, indeed, the economy and inflation, which wasn't as big of a problem then as it is now. But it is interesting that those issues, other than the economy, obviously, don't seem to have the importance that they had a year ago. Is it the economy and crime, you said earlier, they're the big democratic vulnerabilities, you think? The economy, immigration, crime are the three big vulnerabilities. I don't think they've managed to take the education message and really develop it into something coherent. Look, I think the Republican Party's hampered by the fact that they don't have a real leader. And Trump is not really an effective leader to go after swing voters. And McCarthy is too weak to do that. And they waited a long time to come out with a commitment for America. Finally, Mark, um, make this a properly bipartisan conversation. So as a former pollster to presidential candidates and a senior pollster still and today, if you were advising now both parties, the campaign committees of both parties in these final seven weeks, what would you be advising each of them to be focusing on? Let's start with the Republicans. Look, the Republicans are simple. I saw an interview today with Senator Cotton. (laughs) He said, look, the important message is economy, crime, and immigration. And then he spent the entire interview being defensive about abortion. Obviously, he blew it. Why did they do that, Mark? I mean, what's the, you know, is it because the media pressed them to talk about these these things? No, it was a favorable interview. And he wanted, you know, he was asked, well, what about Lindsey Graham? And rather than saying, you know, Lindsey Graham's motion isn't going anywhere. What's really important is, you know, the eight point six inflation, that consumers have lost an entire month of their wages. You know, the person with an axe, right, in McDonald's, you know, was held for 18 hours and then is basically laughing at everybody. Two to four million people across the board. I mean, the Republican message is easy. They just don't seem to have the discipline to keep it. Before I come to the Democrats, on the immigration issue, do you think this is smart politics, the Martha's Vineyard airdrop, as it were, the Republican governors, particularly Abbott and DeSantis in Texas and Florida, sending these migrants off to Democratic strongholds, I think Delaware today. I think Abbott was doing a little bit better. I think DeSantis got himself into a kind of comedic brawl by doing the Martha's Vineyard. You know, I know the message that he was sending, but look, net net, these things got immigration 
back in the news when it really wasn't being covered. And it's getting these incredible statistics that are really unbelievable out there. And net, I don't really know how Texas can possibly survive with its budget absorbing millions of immigrants, you know, coming to the country. And let's face it, the Biden administration has been themselves sending many immigrants to many different cities around the country. So, you know, the harsh rhetoric that's been used, I really find it when either side uses such harsh rhetoric and appeals to the Justice Department to go arrest their opponent, that this is not really good for our democracy. And on the Democratic side, you know, they try and keep the conversation as much as possible on Trump and abortion. I mean, we had that disastrous, I think everybody (laughs) agrees, rather disastrous uh, business last week in the White House where they picked the worst possible day of the inflation figures to trumpet their Inflation Reduction Act. It does look like the inflation picture is grim, more bad performance by the stock market again in the last couple of days, more doubts, uncertainty. The Federal Reserve is about to raise interest rates a lot. Can they really craft a defensive message on the economy or do they just have to go on the attack on the Republicans on these other issues? Well, I wish they would stop saying there's no inflation and and the border is secure because I think that undermines, um, you know, for any member of the public. Look, I think their basic message is, look, if you believe in our kind of values, then you've got to reject bringing back Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is on the ballot. And you see that our kind of values means that women should have freedom of choice, right? And that kind of freedom that's being taken away from you is just an example of the kind of freedom that would be taken if the Republicans were to get back into power. And we've got some issues here like climate change and equity that are important that we keep driving in the country. And look, their goal is to make those the issues and to make it so that people don't think about those problems that they really have. And I think the president is out there showing that, hey, I can handle an interview. I'm feisty. I'm a fighter. I'm a kind of a Truman-esque kind of president. And I think he's improving his ratings. It's really quite interesting. His overall job rating is much higher than his rating on any issue. So that is, I think, more helpful than not. And he needs to have a close midterm in order to have a chance to run again for president, which he seems quite intent on doing. But I think the messages here are easy. The problem is, can either party successfully execute them? Right now, the Republicans are the ones who have to get their message in house in order. If by any chance the Republicans were to fall short, particularly that, you know, Senate does look like it's on a knife edge, they could fail in the Senate. The House looks a taller order for Democrats to hold on to. They're defending very, very small margin there with a significant number of toss-up seats. But if the Republicans fail to win the Senate and only made small gains in the House, how significant would that be and what should be the message that the Republican Party should draw from that? I I think the Republican Party is looking for how they deal with Trump. And so the likely message I think they'll draw is Trump held them back and Trump will say the opposite, right? So you're going to have, you know, how is the Republican Party going to overcome Trump or not Trump? I think that's only going to happen in the presidential primaries. You know, the Republicans don't have a leader. They don't have a national leader. And is that going to be DeSantis or Tim Scott or Donald Trump or whatnot? And I think there's going to be a brawl. I think what a close race does is it reinvigorates Joe Biden. If there's a shellacking here, Joe Biden's out. And if it's really close, I think Biden will definitely run for another term. And I think the Republicans are going to have a food fight no matter what. And in fact, they're not going to come out of the wilderness until they do. But we will be looking forward to talking about all of that after the elections and what's to come in the next couple of years. Mark Penn, pollster, chairman and CEO of Stagwell, thanks very much for joining us. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Free Expression with me, Jerry Baker from the Wall Street Journal editorial page. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Please join us again next week for another exploration of the issues that are driving our world. Thank you and goodbye.